Hi, my name is Greg. I'm one of the ministers at Orange Evangelical Church, and it's great to be with you, to be opening God's Word together with you. Let me encourage you to have your Bibles open, uh, open to John 13 uh, and 14, end of 13, beginning of 14. That's the passage we're looking at today. Um, and it's so good to have the Bible open because I want you to listen to God's words and check my words against his. Uh, so let me encourage you to do that. I want to start by reflecting on the words that come up in John chapter 14 and those famous words where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. They're such famous words, aren't they? So confident in his words. In these words, Jesus is making massive promises. He promises to be the one who's able to bring purpose and, and direction in a world that seems to not know where to go. He promises to be able to bring truth to a world where lies and confusion reign and where truth has been lost in a barrage of personal opinion. He promises to be able to bring true life to those who seek it. But these words are also very profoundly, radically exclusive, aren't they? He puts a big red cross on any other path to eternal life, on any other path to truth. No one comes to the Father except through me, he says. It sounds so arrogant. It's, it sounds so negative to a world that says you can't say people are wrong. And if you're listening to this and you don't know Jesus yet, if you're still trying to come to grips with who he is and, and what he's done, you might find these words a bit offensive, a bit off-putting. You might want to talk, uh, turn this talk off to turn Jesus off. You know, I don't want to have anything to do with a religion that is so full of itself that it says everyone else is wrong. If that's what you think, is that, if that's your reflection on these words, then don't turn off. Give Jesus a chance. Listen to him. Let him speak. Because if, if what he's saying about himself is true, if his promises to be the way, the truth and the life are genuine, then wouldn't it be a terrible thing to miss out? And keep in mind, when he said these words, just a few days before he said them, he told a guy that was four days in the tomb dead to come out. And he did. But for those of us who already know Jesus, these words are just as much for us. Because we need to be reminded that of the exclusive claims that we believe in. And not back away from them, but gladly, proudly speak them and believe them. So let's pray as we sit at Jesus' feet once again, that we would listen with humility, that as we hear Jesus, as we see Jesus, as we come to know Jesus better, we would hear God, see God and get to know him better. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for sending your son your last word to us. Father, help us to listen with humble hearts. As we hear, may we hear your words. May we see you. May we come to know you better, love you more, and seek to serve you in newness of life. And we pray this in Jesus' great name. Amen.
So once again, we come together to sit at the feet of Jesus with the disciples, listening to the words of this great teacher as he prepares his disciples for what is about to unfold for them and for him. And each time we return to this room in these coming weeks, weeks, we seem to jump in sort of halfway through a conversation, don't we? Almost mid-sentence sometimes. It's hard to work out in this series when to start each passage and when to finish each passage that we look at each week because these chapters are like one long chain all linked in. In fact, I think these chapters are more like a woven tapestry because all the ideas keep on running through it and coming back again, interwoven so powerfully and beautifully together. So when we pressed pause last week, Jesus said these words in verses 33 and 34. He said, My children, I'll be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So in that last verse, Jesus gives a new command to his disciples, a command to love others like Jesus has loved them and will love them in the cross. And he gives this new command to law-loving, word-loving, Yahweh-honouring Jews, the disciples. But it's not those words and this new command that Peter picks up on as he continues to respond to Jesus and asking questions. It's his previous words in verse 33 that drills a hole in Peter's head and forces him to ask a question, really. Verse 36, Peter says, Lord, where are you going? Jesus has been speaking about his departure, and this is what Peter wants to speak to Jesus about. He can't imagine life without Jesus, his great teacher, his great king, his loving master who heals and teaches and cares. And in answering Peter, Jesus doesn't immediately answer his question, but he says to Peter that that where he is going, Peter, you're not going to be able to follow me. Now, Peter's ever passionate, isn't he, and bold. He refuses to accept the words of Jesus. He says, Lord, why not? Why can't I follow? I'll die if I have to. But in Jesus' next words to Peter, we're reminded of the lesson from last week, the lesson of Judas, the lesson that Andrew Sennett took us through. Judas could be any one of us. As Judas betrayed Jesus, so Peter will disown him before the break of dawn. This capacity for brave words and weak wills is in all of us. Are we willing to take up our cross and follow Jesus to lay down our life for him? If our answer might be in our words, yes, then how do we know they're not just mere words, like the words of Peter that evening? But as the passage goes on, Jesus says, Peter, you will follow this path, but not tonight. The disciples are confused by the words of Jesus, troubled, worried. Jesus is leaving. He's saying that even Peter will disown him before the night's out. And so into this confusion and cloud of troubled hearts, Jesus once again speaks. 14 verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be with me where I am. Now, on the surface, these words seem fairly simple, don't they? It seems that Jesus is speaking about him going to heaven, preparing a place in heaven for us, and then returning a second time to bring us back. But what does Jesus mean when he says he goes to prepare a place for them and for us? How is he going to do that? Is he, is he going to go to heaven and, and lay out the curtains and put them up and lay down some floating floor on the ground? Is he going to go to the heavenly Harvey Norman to, to fit out the heavenly mansions ready for us when we get there? It seems clear that Jesus is speaking about departing this world, going to the Father, yes. But I also think he's speaking about departing, going to the cross in these verses. And also about once in heaven, sending the Spirit. Because as we make our way through this chapter and through these verses, Jesus will begin speaking about the sending of the Spirit and how through the coming of the Spirit, he and the Father will dwell with those who believe in him. So just a little later in this teaching from Jesus, 14 verse 23, have a look at them. Jesus says these words, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and will come and make our home with them. The word home is the same word as the word room in 14 verse 2. God will make his home within us. He will do this. He will, he will make us his temple, his dwelling place, his home, through the wonderful gift of the Spirit and through the work of Jesus on the cross. And so how does Jesus prepare a place for us? What will he depart from here to do as he's speaking to the disciples? Well, he will die in our place. He will secure the forgiveness of sins. He will cleanse our hearts, giving us a heart of flesh, replacing our heart of stone. He'll prepare our bodies for the presence of the living God through the work of the Spirit. And in the Spirit, the Father and the Son will dwell in us until we are taken to be with him bodily forever. God's presence in us now by the Spirit and our presence with God in the eternal reality are inseparably connected. The one is the promise and the guarantee of the other. And Jesus will depart to the cross and then to heaven where he will send his spirit and make this a reality. God dwelling within us and us then going to be with him. But more of that later in this series as we continue to spend this evening with Jesus sitting at his feet in the coming weeks. But the disciples, they're confused. They don't get the words of Jesus. And so this time Thomas speaks up, still concerned that Jesus is going to leave them. Verse 5, he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And in response to this question, we hear these amazing Words, exclusive words from Jesus. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's spend some time thinking through each of these words that Jesus says about himself. What does it mean that he is the way? What does it mean that he's the truth and the life? 
So firstly, the way. What does Jesus mean when he says that he is the way? Well, Jesus is the way to relationship with God. He is the way to heaven. What it doesn't mean is that Jesus came to blaze a trail, set an example that if we follow his example, we will get there too, if we just follow in his steps. I mean, yes, Jesus is an example. We are to love as he loved us and forgive as he has forgiven us. But that's not what it means to, for Jesus to be the way to the Father. No, Jesus being the way to the Father is the way of the cross. It's the way of rejection, of him bearing the full fury of the Father in our place. Our way to God is not to follow his example, but to accept his sacrifice. The way to the Father is the very person of Jesus. And every other path is a path that leads to death. It's a path that leads to the dismal swamp and darkness and lostness of this world. God put eternity into the hearts of every human being. We all long to know God. We all long to be known by him. All of humanity is searching for meaning and, and purpose and fulfillment in connection with, with the eternal, with the spiritual. And Jesus says, I am the way to relationship with God. The next one's the truth. What does Jesus mean when he says that he is the truth? Jesus being the truth is more than saying that Jesus speaks the truth like a, like a prophet or a teacher. It means more than just saying that every word that Jesus says is true, like he never lies. Well, Jesus does never lie, but that's not what he means here. Jesus is the truth because he is the enfleshed word of the living God. The very self-expression of deity. Jesus is the truth of God, not just about him. And in Jesus, we come to know the truth about God and of God, but also about our world and ourselves. Jesus dispels the lies of Satan and the lies of our world. He reveals our sin and our deception. He reveals the ugly truth about the way that we treat God and one another. If we don't have Jesus, if we don't know him, if we don't listen to him, then we will be deceived about ourselves, about our world, and about God. When Jesus says he's the truth, he's saying just as much about us and our world as he is about himself. The next one, the third one, Jesus is the life. What does it mean that he is the life? Well, he's saying that without him, we have death. He's the source of life. Jesus is the life because in him the price for life has been paid in his death. Jesus is the life because he defeated death. He promises that we will too if we put our trust in him. In our society, we want to put death in the corner of the room. We want to pretend that it doesn't have any power over us. We live as if it'll never conquer us. But all of us fear it. None of us can defeat it and escape it. In this thing we call life, on our planet. This life is a life tainted and marred by the curse of God on this broken world and on us, all because we've turned our back on him, the source of life. And so for Jesus to say that he is life is for is just like him saying he's God, because God is the only source of life. And without Jesus, what shadow of a life we have now will be taken away in eternal death and curse.
And these three astounding things that Jesus says about himself all stem from who he is and the unity, the unique identity that he has of being one with the Father. And that's what Jesus goes on to speak about in verse 7. If you really knew me, he says, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. When you think about it, they're stunning words, aren't they? He's saying that if you know Jesus, then you know the heavenly and eternal Father God. You know Yahweh. And this is more than just a family likeness. Like, you know, I've got five kids. Here's a picture of them. Some of them look more like me than others. You pity them. But, but all of them are a little bit like me in different ways. You could say that if you get to know my kids, then you're beginning to get to know me. And that's true. But Jesus being the one and only uh, son of the father means more than just a family likeness. No, there's a profound and deep unity of identity between Jesus and the Father that goes far beyond a likeness of family. Jesus said these words, sorry, John said these words about Jesus in chapter 1. He said, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. When you see Jesus, you see God. Not just the likeness of God, you see God in all his wonder and glory. You see Jesus, you see God. You hear Jesus, you hear God. You know Jesus, you know God. They are not the same person, but the unity and union between them is such that if you know one, then you know the other. When you get to heaven, if you trust in Jesus... And you get to heaven, there'll be no surprises when we meet God because we know his one and only son. When we see the compassion of Jesus, we're seeing the compassion of God within himself. When we see the fury of Jesus, we see the fury of God. When we see the forgiveness of Jesus, we see the forgiveness of God. When we sit at his feet and hear him speak, we hear the very living and mighty words of our creator and judge. Look at verse four, uh, verse 10 of John 14. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Notice in that verse the connection between the words of Jesus and the works of the Father. As Jesus speaks, his words aren't just the words of God. They are the works of his Father. Just as God spoke in the beginning, and the universe was spun into motion and glorious existence. So God speaks in Jesus and does a new creative work. The words and works of Jesus are the words and works of the Father. And this is why Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Because he alone is God, the Son in the flesh. And this is why also his claims are exclusive. There is no other way to God. There can be no other way to God. There is no other way to ultimate truth. There is no other way to find true life than in Jesus because no one else is God in the flesh. So Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, false Christianity, naturalism, they're all false paths leading people away from God, not to him, away from the truth, away from life because they don't bring you to Jesus. 
Jesus is the only way this lost, self-deceived, broken world can find truth and life and hope. He's the only way this world can find God. That was certainly true for me. And it's true for every human being, because Jesus is who he says he is. And if you haven't yet come and found him and found true life, don't wait any longer. You've begun to listen to Jesus, to God in the words of his son. Continue to listen by reading the Bible, the word that brings us to Jesus, the true and only son of God. Consider him. Put your trust in him and know the God that revealed himself in Jesus. But then as the the verses continue on, verses 12 to 14, Jesus says some stunning promises to his disciples. In fact, not just to them, but to all who would believe in his name. He says, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. They will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it said Jesus. Now, that's big, isn't it? So I can ask for a Ferrari when I go to bed tonight and bam, the next morning they'll be sitting in the driveway, not a Mazda little Mazda 3 that I've got, but no, a Ferrari. I mean, a joke. It doesn't mean that, surely. But what does it mean? Does it mean that if we ask for healing for our friends and family, for ourselves, that he will give it? After all, he has said, ask for anything in my name. And he said he will do it. You know, he, he rose Lazarus from the dead, surely healing my friend from cancer. That's, that's no biggie. All I need to do is say at the end of my prayer, in the name of Jesus, and I've got an ironclad guarantee. Jesus promised it. I think we all know that this can't be what Jesus is promising. After all, every single Christian who trusted in the Lord Jesus died. Uh, Is it that because they didn't ask in Jesus' name? No, it's because these words of Jesus don't actually promise a blank check. But what does it mean to ask for things in the name of Jesus? Well, think about it like this. What would it mean for me to do things in my own name, in the name of Greg Blanche? If I do things in my name, then I will do things to fulfill my own purposes and my own desires and my own hopes and pleasures and and purposes. Now, if that's the case, then what does it mean to ask for things in Jesus' name? Well, it means to ask for things that fulfill his purposes, his desires, his longings, his hopes, his ways in this world. And you can see that in verse 13, where Jesus says, I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. The name of Jesus is the name of God. God has revealed himself finally, fully, in all of his glory in the cross. In the cross, we see the plans and purposes and desires of God reach their fulfillment. And so the glory of the Father through the Son is not going to be brought by me asking and getting a Ferrari. Now, the Father might be glorified in the healing of our friends or ourselves, but it can also be brought about through our trust in his name, through suffering that brings patience and humility and compassion and glory to God as we speak of him. But listen to me as I say this. This 
understanding, this appreciation of what it means to ask for things in Jesus' name doesn't empty this promise of Jesus of power. In fact, it makes it even better. I'm so glad that God doesn't give me everything I ask for in prayer because I don't trust myself to know what is for God's glory, but I know Jesus does and I can trust him with it. Jesus is promising in these verses to work through our prayers from heaven, to powerfully answer them to the glory of God. That's a fantastic promise. Have a look at Jesus' words in verse 12. That those who believe in Jesus will do even greater things than Jesus has done. Like, what could that possibly be? Jesus healed the the lame, sorry, and the blind and the broken and raised the dead. How could we ever do greater things than Jesus? Well, through prayers in Jesus' name, he has promised to be at work from heaven to answer our prayers to the glory of God. That's the greater thing. Think about it. When Jesus died and rose again, how big was the kingdom of God? How many people were in the kingdom at that point? How many people have been saved from Satan and death and sin and brought into a eternal relationship with God? Well, we can count maybe 11 disciples and maybe some of the other followers around them as well. Maybe 70. There were 70 in the upper room in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2. So let's count that. It's not very big, is it? But since then, through the prayers and words of God's people, we have done greater things than Jesus did. We have brought countless of thousands and millions from death to life, from being enemies of the living God to being children of God. Well, we haven't done it. Jesus has done it through our prayers and through our words from heaven. Jesus is promising in these words to work powerfully from heaven to continue his work in and through us. And Jesus has fulfilled this promise already in those who have gone before us trusting in him, praying these prayers in his name and speaking his words. And he continues to work today in the same way, through our words, through our works, through our prayers. God was at work through the works and the words of Jesus, sent by him to do his work. Jesus is at work through the words and through the works of those who believe in him and through our prayers to do even greater work than when he was here, the establishment of his kingdom. So won't you speak? Won't you pray in the name of the Lord Jesus? Won't you take part in this heavenly work of God through his son, through us, to bring him praise and honour and glory? Because Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And he's promised to continue his great work through those who believe in him. Let's pray. Won't you join me? Father God, thank you that you sent your son as the way, the truth and the life. Thank you that through his words, through your work, that you reveal to us the wonder of who you are and the lostness of our world and the reality of our sin. Father, forgive us. Help us to come to know you better as we come to know Jesus better. Help us to be people who speak your words. Help us to be people who pray in your name, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would be honoured and glorified. 
We pray that you would work through our prayers and through our efforts and through our words to grow your kingdom in astounding and wonderful ways. Thank you for the promise that you will be at work and are at work. We pray these things in Jesus' great name. Amen.